All right, praises be to our loving Father. We're gathered once again to study His words and His commandments. The first question that we're going to address for this evening's episode of the BQA is what is stated in the following. What is our stand on clean and unclean foods? Because the Bible does mention uh, concerning foods which are clean and unclean. And this goes back to Leviticus 11, 1 down to 2. Now, Yahuwah spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Take note, this a teaching concerning what to eat and what not to eat was addressed specifically to the children of Israel, to the people of God during that time, during the time of Moses. So this was part of the Mosaic Covenant, and it specifies the children of Israel. And according to, to Yahuwah God, there are animals that may be eaten, and there are animals which should not be eaten. We discussed this at length in one of our BHP episodes. So we do encourage you to check that episode of the Bible History Project. However, for the sake of addressing the question, let's go to these animals which can and cannot be eaten. Well, this is a, a pretty good pictographic of God's definition of unclean animals in a nutshell. Number one, scavengers, because they feed on dead animals. Number two, creeping things like rats and lizards and snakes. Number three, no split hooves. Does it chew the cud like horses? And take note, pig, our favorite meat, right? And so this was uh, lumped into unclean animals that should not be eaten by the people of God, the people of Israel. It's, it's not kosher. Uh, what else? Number four, without fin and scale. So lobster, shrimp, forbidden foods, according to the will of Yahuwah, our God. And so the question is, what is our stand concerning clean and unclean food or clean and unclean animals? Our stand is the teaching of Yahuwah, our God. However, having said that, we need to understand the time we are living in today and compare it to times past because it wasn't always like this before. For example, if we go all the way back to the past in a nice place called Garden of Eden, so-called paradise, what was the situation back then? Genesis 1, 29 to 30, I have provided all kinds of grain and all kinds of fruit for you to eat, but for all the wild animals and for all the birds, I have provided grass and leafy plants for food, and it was done. So the Garden of Eden, there were no meat eaters because there was no death, right? Garden of Eden, there was no sin at the, at the starting point, and so there was no death. And so the animals did not eat, eat each other. The animals ate the grass and the leafy plants, and the human beings, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and the grain, it was given to them for food. So there was no eating of animals, but we know what happened. There was the fall. Because of the fall, Yahuwah God mentioned the promised seed. And so what was initiated after the fall was the restoration. This is why the events that were unfolding from the time of the fall in the paradise in Eden up until this present moment is what is called redemptive history. 
Yahuwah God acting through human beings to unfold his plan and purpose concerning the Logos or the upcoming Savior of mankind, Yahusha HaMashiach. So we need to keep that in the back of our mind, that everything unfolds according to his plan of the coming Savior of all humanity. And so because sin was introduced, Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. They were living in a cursed earth. What was required for them to have a relationship with Yahuwah God? Let's read Genesis 7, 1 to 2. Then Yahuwah said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me and this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal and a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Take note, even before Moses, right? Because this is during the time of Noah. Moses wasn't born yet. Even Abraham wasn't born yet. So this was way back during the days of Noah. There was already a distinction between clean animals and unclean animals. Then the flood came. After the flood, what did Yahuwah God decree? Genesis 9, 2 down to 4. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So during the days of Noah, what did Yahuwah God decree? Well, he decreed that all humans can now eat animals. Now, when it comes to animals, even though there was a distinction made between clean and unclean during the days of Noah, before the Mosaic Covenant, all animals could be eaten, right? So during the days of Noah, there was no restriction. There was no dietary considerations or dietary restrictions because the covenant that Yahuwah God made with Moses did not exist yet during the days of Noah. And so we fast forward, we go through Abraham, and then now we go to Moses and Yahuwah God makes a covenant with Moses. It was part of the Mosaic covenant that during their time, during the days of the people of Israel, the people could not eat animals that were considered unclean. Why? What is the purpose of that? Why does God, Yahuwah God, instruct his people Israel, whom he chose and elected to be a people of his own? Why does he tell them that you cannot eat these unclean animals? There has to be a reason. There has to be a purpose. Now, in our one, of, one episode of our BHP, we gave you some providential wisdom for why Yahuwah God did what he did because of the level of toxicity. We know that there are certain animals which are not good for our overall wealth, health, and well-being. Having said that, that was not the major purpose. It was just like a side purpose. But the major purpose, the real reason why, Yahuwah God told Moses and the people of Israel not to eat unclean animals is because of this specific reason. What is that? Well, let's let Yahuwah God give us the answer himself in the book of Leviticus 20, 24 to 26. 
But I have said to you, you shall inherit the land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Yahuwah your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore distinguish between clean and animals, uh, between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I, Yahuwah, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. It can't be clearer than that. There's a reason why Yahuwah God instructed his people not to eat the unclean animals. What is that specific reason? Do you see the word therefore that is underlined in the passage? You know, when there's a therefore, we need to find out what it is there for, right? It says therefore, so it connects with the statement before that. I am Yahuwah, your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You see, Yahuwah God was setting apart. He was separating his people from the rest of the world. And then he says at the last part, you shall be mine. In fact, the word holy. Do you know what the word holy means? If I were to ask my beloved daughter, Jenna, what is the meaning of the word holy? That's right. It means to set apart, to separate from, right? So if you have the whole world, when you separate, for example, one nation to be your own, you make it holy. If you have a house and you select a room and set that apart, it can only be used for a specific purpose. You, that room is holy. It's been set apart. It's been separated from the rest. And so Yahuwah God, claiming Israel to be his own, he separated Israel from the rest of humanity. And so the rest would be called Gentiles, while those whom God set apart for his own would be Israel, his people. And so what was one of the ways by which he would show distinction between his people and the rest of humanity? This is where we get the therefore part. You see, after Yahuwah God says, I have separated you from the peoples, he goes on to say, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean. So the dietary restrictions were part of the covenant that Yahuwah God made to show distinction between Israel and Gentile or between Israel and non-Israel. And so when we look at the categories of animals suggested by the covenant and by the clean and unclean animals and the regulations behind them, we can say, well, animals basically, or uh, animals and beasts of the earth, well, they were categorized into one of these three, unclean, right, clean, and sacrificial. And so there are unclean animals, there are clean animals. Sometimes clean animals can become unclean when it touches a corpse or when it dies, it becomes unclean. And there are certain animals that are used for sacrifices like lambs, doves, right, goats. And so there are different categories. You go from unclean to clean to set apart, right? It turns out that this pattern 
reflects also the way Yahuwah God works through humanity. Remember what we said after Genesis, after the fall, Yahuwah God was unfolding his purpose so that humanity can be restored once again under one savior. It's written right here. You go from unclean to clean to sacrificial. What does that point to? Unclean, that refers to those excluded from the camp of Israel, the Gentiles. The clean, that refers to ordinary Israelites when they are not defiled. In the sacrificial, they refer to the priesthood, specifically the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, those who offered sacrifices in the sanctuary. And so from the regulations that govern clean and unclean and sacrificial animals, we see the pattern of God when it comes to his process of sanctification or setting apart or consecration for his use. And at the top of that, it all points to the one and perfect sacrifice of who? Who does that point to? This pattern. What does it point to? It points to who? Yahusha. Remember, after the fall, what Yahuwah God did was to set in motion the process of redemption and restoration. And it will come to its completion when the perfect sacrifice has come and he gives up his life for the sake of humanity. Who was that? Yahusha, the Lamb of God. So we can see this distinction between unclean, clean, and sacrificial. It's going to disappear. When will it disappear? When it is finally fulfilled. And Yahusha HaMashiach said, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. I came to fulfill it. And so time will come when Yahusha will fulfill it. And so Yahuwah, our God, his intent was not to get rid of the Gentiles. Because maybe there are those who are thinking, well, if he set apart Israel... Does that mean he's forgetting about the non-Israelites? No. The plan of God includes the Gentiles. However, for this plan to be fulfilled, it begins with separation. Because from this separation, he will single out one man, the Mashiach or the Messiah, who will die so that the Gentiles and the Israelites and all of humanity can receive salvation through that one man who will complete and perfect the sacrifice by which we can be cleansed. When was this fulfilled? Colossians 2, 16 to 17, 20 to 21. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And so when Yahusha, our king, came and he sacrificed himself, when he died, the regulations that were associated with those different uh, sacrifices, well, that was abolished. This is why Apostle Paul says, let no one judge you about food or drink because those restrictions have been lifted because it only pointed to who? Yahusha. When Yahusha came, who is the substance, the things that were associated with those regulations, they ceased 
to exist. They passed altogether. And why was it that by the death of our King Yahushua, all those regulations stopped? Let's read the book of Hebrews 9, 14, and 15. And how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Why was it that by the death of our king Yahushua, Apostle Paul says, let no one judge you when it comes to what, you, what food you're going to eat. Or let no one judge you concerning touching corpses and all those things that defile a human being. That's because when Yahushua died, he became the mediator of, what does it say? A new covenant. So what takes, in, what takes effect is the covenant that was brought by our King Yahushua, no longer the Mosaic covenant. In other passages of the scripture, the Mosaic covenant becomes obsolete because Yahushua completed it. He satisfied all of its regulations when he sacrificed himself as the perfect sacrifice. And so when our King Yahushua offered himself, guess what? The plan of God was coming to fruition, right? Remember what we said. Yahuwah God will not forget the Gentiles. No, he is just separating Israel because out of Israel will, will come forth the Mashiach. After he has come and he sacrificed himself, what becomes now of Jews and Gentiles? Let's read the book of Ephesians 2, 14 and 18. For Christ himself has brought, a, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Remember, the purpose of this system of law and regulations, it was to make a distinction between the Jews or the Israel and the Gentiles, including the foods which were clean and unclean. But this system with its commandments and regulations was put to an end. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So this separation between Israel and Gentiles no longer exists. Remember, who created that separation between Israel and non-Israelites in the first place? Who was it? It was Yahuwah God. When Yahuwah God said, this is my people, he created that separation. But that separation was only temporary because out of Israel would come forth the Mashiach. And when Mashiach has come forth, what will the Christ do? 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. So that separation between Israel and non-Israel was abolished. Okay, And so now the separation is between those who belong to Yahushua and those who don't belong to Yahushua, that's the new distinction. That's the new separation. 
those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Verse 17, he brought this good news for peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And so this, we can see the unfolding of God's plan that he initiated way back when Adam and Eve were removed or expelled from the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, the purpose of history was to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah came. He lived, he died on the cross, and now he has reconciled both Jew and Gentile Israel and non-Israel. So this unfolding of God's plan, how was it manifested? How was it introduced or communicated to the apostles? Because when our King Yahusha died and he went to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down. The early converts to Christianity, the early followers or disciples of our King Yahusha, well, they could not completely understand what all this meant. It was all new to them. And so Apostle Peter, one of the chief apostles during this time, what did Yahuwah God show him? Acts 10, 9 to 16. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four quarters, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed you must not, uh, what, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done how many times? Three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. You know, when the apostles were converted, when, because the, Jew, uh, the apostles, they were all Israelite. Right? All the apostles were Israelite. And so when they got converted and the first converts to become disciples of our King Yahusha, well, they were trying to make sense of what was happening. And because the apostles were themselves Jew or Israelite, right? Well, what were they accustomed to? They were accustomed to the law of Moses. So there was some growing pains. Apostle Peter was one of the apostles. He was praying to our God while he was praying. He got into what he fell into a trance and he was given a vision. And in his vision, what appeared to him? A great sheet that bound that was at the four corners of the earth. And he saw all kinds of four-footed animals and wild beasts. And then a voice came. What did you, what did the, the voice say? What did the Lord say to him? The Lord said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. What does Peter say? Not so, Lord. Can you imagine that? Saying no to the Lord, right? Lord says, go eat. And Peter says, no. And you know, I guess we can't blame Peter for saying no to the Lord because he grew up a Jew. He grew up Israelite. And so he knows about the dietary laws. You're not supposed to eat certain types of animals, right? But in this vision, three times, right? 
it reveals something new. There was a new covenant that was already in effect. And the apostles needed to be taught about this new covenant that is to be in effect. Because previously, all they could think about was Israel and just Israel. Gentiles were not part of Israel. They were not part of God's plan. And so when this happened, all of a sudden, three times to show the significance of this event, it was a paradigm shift because nothing like this has happened before, right? And so Peter is told, you can eat this now because Yahuwah God has cleansed, has cleansed all the animals. However, this event was not just about the eating of animals because when you think about it, it's just eating food. No, it's more significant than that. It's about the next stage of the unfolding of God's plan. This is why in verses 17 to 18, after this event, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. What was this vision about? And so the vision prepared Peter for something that's going to take place. Right after the vision, all of a sudden, here comes a non-Israelite. What's his name? Cornelius. Cornelius had a vision as well. And he was instructed in his vision to go to see Peter. And so that's what he does. He goes to Peter's house. They have a conversation. And he began to preach the gospel to him. And so what happened? As I began to speak, Peter continued. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit and since god gave these gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the lord yahusha christ who was i to stand in god's way when the others heard this they stopped objecting and began praising god they said we can see that god has also given the gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life this is what apostle paul was talking about that separating wall between israelite and non-israelite that was destroyed they were all together now in christ if you were in christ those outside of christ that's the new separation but those who are in christ it doesn't matter what your race is and this was new to apostle peter because for apostle peter the holy spirit was only for israel no it was for everyone who belonged to who Yahusha, the Christ. This was the work of restoration. This is why at this point, there was no longer a distinction between Israel and non-Israel. And so the regulations, that, that was lifted. Now they can eat animal. They can eat shrimp. They can eat pork. But of course, when it comes to the freedom that we have as followers of Yahusha, we must not abuse, right? I mean, we don't want you to eat too much pork. We don't want you to eat too much shrimp. You get it? Because, of, because what is important is that we do not end up becoming gluttons. And so what this tells us is when it comes to our stand concerning foods and clean foods and unclean foods, the Bible says it has already been cleansed by Yahuwah our God. So we can eat uh, foods. We have the freedom in Christ, Yahusha. And when the restoration continues to unfold, guess what? In the millennial kingdom, you know what our diet's going to be like? Isaiah 65, 25. 
the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat, what does it say? <laughs> the lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain, I, Yahuwah, have spoken. And so this suggests to us that in the future millennial kingdom here on earth for a thousand years, in preparation with the kingdom in heaven, right? That there will be no more eating meat. There will be no more death. This is why if you really like meat, now is the time to eat meat. But then again, like what we told you, you should not abuse the eating of meat. Like in all things, in moderation, right? That is what is important. The point is, Yahuwah God is unfolding his plan and his purpose. And part of that plan is the unification of Israelite, non-Israelites in the body of Yahushua. When that happened, there was no more distinction between clean and unclean foods because everything has been cleansed by Yahuwah our God. But you know what? There are, there are some religions today who will insist and they will tell you, no, brother, there is, there is still some foods and meats that we cannot eat. We cannot eat pork. We cannot eat shrimp. There are some who believe in Christ, but they will still insist that we still have to follow these dietary regulations. But what does Apostle Paul say concerning that? Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, when it comes to the faith, who is the center of that faith? Who is it? Yahusha. You see, our focus should be our King Yahusha, no longer Moses, but Yahusha, okay? So he's the focus. And so when we depart from Yahusha, we're departing from the faith. Now, Apostle Paul, he has many audiences. He's telling us, Spirit expressly says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctors of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience here with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So that is our stand. And so the question that was asked, what is our stand concerning clean and unclean foods? Our stand is the apostolic stand or what the apostles preach to be our stand. What is that? We stand for the truth. And what is that truth preached by the apostles about the doctrine of faith? What happened? Because Yahusha came and sacrificed himself. It has been sanctified. All food has been sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So now we can eat those meats that were forbidden during the days of Israel when they were wandering in the desert. We can eat those meats now. But like what we said, brethren, let us not abuse our freedom in our King. Yahusha. And when Yahusha was here on earth, why should we not be fighting or why should we not be debating about these foods that we eat or what we cannot eat? This is what Mark says, or actually this is what our King Yahusha has to teach us according to the gospel of Mark. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus 
without understanding also, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And so when Yahushua spoke a parable which alluded to the cleansing and that we cannot be defiled by what we eat, the, his audience could not grasp that because remember, he was speaking to an Israelite audience and they, were, they know about the foods that defile a man. And so when our king explained the parable, he had to repeat himself, just like in the vision that Apostle Peter had. Three times the vision was shown to him for emphasis. Yahushua, our king, is speaking to his audience and he says to them, do you still not understand? It's not about what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. So instead of arguing about what to eat, what should we be more concerned about? What comes out of us? Like what? Mark 7, 20 to 23. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, defile a man, different from food. Food goes to your stomach, not to your heart. Did you notice what that our King Yahushua said that? This is why food cannot defile a man, because it goes to the stomach and gets eliminated, right? It doesn't defile you. What defiles you is what comes out of you, because what comes out of you is from your heart. Like what? Murders, evil thoughts, covetousness, wickedness. And so our focus should be changing our heart. That should be our focus, changing our heart, because our heart has a lot more to do than our stomach. This is why when it comes to these debates about clean and unclean foods, our King Yahusha is speaking to us and he say, focus on what really matters, the matters of the heart, right? The things that please Yahuwah, our God, okay? All right, let's go to our next question. Our next question is, hello po, pakitanong po si Kajan, kung sino sa assembly of Yahusha ang considered elders to be approached for anointing since we're all scattered around the world. Okay, so the question in English is, please ask Brother John, who among the members of the Assembly of Yahusha are considered elders that we can approach if we want to receive the anointing of the oil? Because we have a problem because we're all scattered, right? And we don't have, I mean, there are certain parts of uh, the country, certain parts of different places throughout the world where there's some concentration of members of the Assembly of Yahusha. For the most part, we're separated by distance. We're only being gathered together for worship services because of the benefit of technology. But other than that, we're not physically connected, right? And so how do you anoint with oil when we're scattered like that? Who are the elders that should be uh, called upon? Well, the book of James 5 verse 14, is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so the Bible tells us if we want to receive anointing of oil, who do we summon? The elders of the church. The word church there is ecclesia, which means assembly. The elders of the assembly are to be called upon 
when we want anointing of oil? Well, who are the elders? Again, we refer to our favorite website, Blue Letter Bible. We look at elders, and the Greek word used is presbyteros. And so the elders are the presbyters. And what is the meaning of presbyteros? There are many meanings depending on which time you belong to. During the Mosaic times, it referred to the uh, people who made judgments or decisions concerning uh, disputes among the people of Israel. But during the Christian era, right, the way that word presbyter, uh, presbyteros is used is among the Christians, those who presided or were spiritual leaders over the assemblies or churches. The New Testament uses the term bishop. Elders and presbyters interchangeably. So you have bishop, elders, presbyters. They all refer to one and the same office. So indeed, during the days of the Christians, the followers of Yahusha, in the different assemblies, there were people who would preside over the members of the assembly of Yahusha. Now, who were they? How does one become an elder? Book of Acts 14, 21 to 22, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We understand that what Apostle Paul is doing was to visit places to evangelize, to share the gospel. And he was able to create and make many disciples because of his evangelistic efforts. And so him and Barnabas decided to go back to where they came from and to continue to strengthen the believers there. And so when they went back, what did they decide to do? Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every assembly. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Take note, when they went back, what did the apostles do? They selected individuals who can be groomed to become elders. And how were these elders groomed? Well, they had to show trust in who? Yahusha, our Lord. That was the number one criteria. Did they trust? the king of kings and lord of lords if they did then they endorsed these elders to our king yahusha and so our king yahusha would be using them as instruments elders of every assembly and every church so they were appointed okay and how were they appointed what other qualifications must they meet in titus 1, 5 to 7, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an elder must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered he must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. So Apostle Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every town. And so as an assembly today, we have different jurisdictions. And so we also have elders 
in each of these jurisdictions. For example, those who were deacons, remember? Deacons, if you were a deacon, back in the, the days of the institution, they were considered elders. However, we need to make sure that they belong to the faith who have faith in our king, Yahusha. Today, we are preparing elders because we have students who are aspiring to become elders who are also teachers of the word of God. This is why Titus 1, 8 to 9, verse 9 says he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught and he will able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. What also are the qualifications? In Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be an elder. So you, you need to first aspire to be an elder. We believe that desire comes from Yahuwah God through his spirit, and he inspires us from the heart. And so if it's a longing for you, if you want, for example, to become a ministerial student, let us know. If you want to become an elder, he desires an honorable position. An elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can, we, how can he take care of God's church or assembly? So the elders are those who aspire to learn to teach the word of God, to give advice, and their chief responsibility is in verse 5. What do they do? They take care of the assembly. They're the elders. Now the question is, well, who are the elders today in the assembly? Perhaps there are those who, because of their experience, because of their faith and their trust, they are considered elders by experience and faith. We have deacons who are amongst us and they can anoint with oil, right? There are people who are being groomed today because we have a school for the ministry. They're being prepared. They're also to be considered elders of the assembly and they can do the function of anointing with oil. But the question is, well, what if we don't have access to an elder? Well, that's not a big problem. Why? I want you to think about this. If you're sick, and then the Bible says, if anyone among you is sick, ask for the elders of the church and ask to be anointed with oil. Question, is it the elder who will heal you? What is your answer? Is it the elder? No. Is it the oil who's going to heal you? No. Who's going to heal us? It is Yahuwah through Yahushua, our king. And so when it comes to getting healed, what should be our focus and main concern? It's not to look for an elder. Our main concern should be to look for who? Well, let's read the book of Jeremiah 17, 14. Oh, Yahuwah, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. If you save me, I will be truly saved. My praises are for you alone. So if we are sick, brethren, instead of you know, looking for an elder, the best thing to do really is to look for who? Yahuwah, our creator. Because if he heals us, we will be truly healed. Who also was given to us? Acts 3.16, through faith in the name of Yahusha. This man was healed. 
and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Yahushua's name has healed him before your very eyes. Our gift of healing was also given to us through our king, Yahusha. And so if we have faith in Yahusha's name, we too can be healed. So the first thing we need to do is to look for Yahuwah, our God, and our king, Yahusha. That's all we really need. We don't really need the oil when you think about it. It's an additional, right? But we don't really need it, especially now when we have access to Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach. We need to learn to pray on our own. It's good to have others pray for us. Don't get me wrong. It's good that we will pray for you and that we receive prayer from you. But we can do it on our own. This is why our King Yahushua said you can call the Father directly. We can ask him directly. And so we can do that. We don't have to rely on anointing of oil. The truth of it is, our King Yahusha would be even more impressed if we will rely on him alone without the oil. What's the proof? Let's read the book of Matthew 8, 5 to 7. When Yahusha returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Yahusha said, I will come and heal him. And so when this Roman officer requested for healing for his servant, Yahushua says, okay, I'm going to go to your house and heal him. Because remember our King Yahushua, he understands that there are different levels of faith, right? And so he was accommodating the faith of this Roman officer because he, this Roman officer is new. He's not even Israelite, right? And so he goes to our King Yahushua asking for healing for his servant. And what does our King Yahushua say? Well, he says, I will go and heal him. But then what does, this, what does the Roman officer reply? But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Yahushua heard this, he was, what does it say? Amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. What amazed Yahushua, our king, about his faith. There was no need for any physical contact. Right? Just say the word. Can you imagine the faith that this Roman officer had? I mean, what do you think? Do you think our King Yahusha would be helpless to heal us if we had no oil, if there was no elder? Do you think Yahusha will say, well, because you did not anoint yourself with oil or there's no elder that's available, well, I cannot heal you. No. We can amaze our King Yahusha with our faith by going to him and saying to him, Yahusha, my king, all I need to hear, all I really need is for you to say I'm healed, then I will be healed, right? even without the rubbing of oil. That is the faith that truly heals. It's not the oil that heals. It's not the elder that heals. It is our King Yahushua who will heal us because his authority comes from our father, Yahuwah, our God. Okay? All right, let's go to our last question. Those who believe that Yahushua is God use Hebrews 1.8. In that verse, it specifically, specifically calls Yahushua as God. Can you explain this passage? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews 1.8. 
This is what it says in Hebrews 1.8. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So that's what it says in Hebrews 1.8. Take note, uh, in this passage, according to the writer of Hebrews, there is this pronoun he, right? But to the son, he, that's referring to God, to the son, God says, your throne, oh, God. And so who's being referred to here as God? The son, right? Who is the son? Yahusha. Therefore, based on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, the son, the Christ, is also what? God, according to God himself. Because God said, your throne, oh, God. And so according to Hebrews 1, 8, it seems that the son is also God. So how do we explain this passage? Well, let's go to our favorite website. Or is that again? Blue letter in, in Greek. Uh, in Greek, let's look at Hebrews 1.8 and let's look for O God and how the Hebrew word used there. It's very interesting. So let's go to the Hebrew, right? When you look at O God, it only has one Hebrew word. I mean, one Greek word. So the Greek word is theos. You notice that? The Greek word is theos. But when it's translated in English, they added the word O. The word O is not in the manuscript. The word O is not in the original manuscript. At least the English word O is not in the original manuscript. Okay? There's no word in Greek that is translated O as in O God. Okay, it's not to be found. Well, what can we find in the Greek? Well, let's go take a look at the whole Greek passage. There's Hebrews 1.8 in Greek and the corresponding New King James Version translation on the right side in English. You notice the orange, theos, and they write it there as, oh God. You see that? Right? But take a look at the word that comes before theos. What do you see there? Do you see a letter O, right, with a, a dot on top of it? That is a Greek word. And so when they translate Hebrews 1.8 from Greek to English, they take that O that has a, a, a dot or a slash on the top, right? And they translate that into O. But you know what? That, that word there, the Greek word O, it's not translated Oh, because that word is an article. It's called a definite article. The definite article, when translated in English, is not oh, it is the. Okay. Why is it used there? To specify that the word theos is being used as a noun, as in God the Father, God Himself. This is why it's called the better translation is not oh God, but the God. You see that? So the God, not O God, because the English letter O, that's not the translation of the article O in Greek. And so it should be translated the God and not O God. What further proves this? Well, Hebrews 1.8 is actually a... Uh, Quote 
from the book of Psalms 45 verse 6. Psalms 45 is written in Hebrew, okay? And this was a messianic prophecy that the writer of Hebrews uses concerning the son. And this is what it says in Isaiah 45, 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. So this is in Hebrew. If we look at the Hebrew manuscript, this is what we find. O God, again, what is, uh, what is the Hebrew word that translates to O? There's none. It's only Elohim, right? And so again, it should be translated the God and not O God. So when we have Hebrews 1.8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, it should be to the Son, your throne, the God. And so when we look at the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts in the original or the copies of the original before the English translation in the New King James, it is telling us that the God is referring to the throne of the Son. In other words, the Son's authority comes from who? God. It's not saying that God is calling the Son, oh, God. It's telling us that the authority of the Son comes from God, the God. Who is the God? Yahuwah, Abba. And so that's how it should be translated. This is why other translators translate it this way in Moffat. He says of the Son, God is thy throne forever and ever. In the HCSB, but to the Son, your throne, comma, God is forever and ever. In the NCV, but God said this about his Son, God, your throne. And so it's clear in the other translations of the Bible, God is referred to the one who is the throne of the Son. It's not, oh, God. As though God is calling the Son, O God. But here's the thing. What further proves that? We're going to give you the smoking gun evidence. Let's read Hebrews 1 in the New King James. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Again, when we look at the Hebrew, when we look at the Greek, what should it be translated as? More authentically, more accurately, more literally, it should be like this. But to the Son, he says, your throne, the God, is forever and ever. And so the term God here is not being used to describe the Son or to call the Son, O God, but to describe the source of his power and authority comes from God, who is his throne. Your throne, the God, is forever and ever. So the Son is not being called God. What further proves that? Well, all we have to actually do is keep reading the whole verse, right? Read verse 9. Because if you read verse 9, take a look at this. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companion. So it's very clear in verse 9 that the one referred to as O God, or God, is not the Son, but the God of the Son, right? The Son recognizes God who anointed him. God is not calling the Son, oh God. The Bible is telling us that the God that the Son recognizes is the one who anointed the Son. And so Hebrews 1, 8, 9 actually tells us 
that Yahusha, the Son of God, his power and authority comes from who? Yahuwah, our God. And how did he get his power and authority? He was anointed by Yahuwah, our God. So it's very clear. Hebrews 1.8.9 does not teach that Yahusha is God. Instead, it teaches that Yahusha's power and authority comes from the God, right? The God who is Yahuwah Abba. And you can see the bias of the translators. This is why we have to be careful because there's a lot of bias when it comes to translating some of the Hebrew and Greek. That's why we're thankful for websites like the Blue Letter Bible uh, and, and other Hebrew and Greek resources because it, it enables us to check because a lot of these biases are going to add that letter O, right? You can see the deception there. That is deception, brethren. They added the letter O when it should not be there. Because what's found in the original Greek is the, the, the uh, article ho, the article ho, which means the, to specify that God is the God, the noun, Yahuwah Abba, okay? All right, that is our lesson for tonight. Uh, thank you for attending our Bible study. Let us all stand for our concluding prayer. Everlasting Father, Almighty Yahuwah Abba, Thank you so much for the clarity of your holy words. Yes. We praise you forever. Yes. Thank you for showing us your truth. Help us, Father, to proclaim your truth boldly and help us to live by them always in our life. Wow. Yahusha, our King, may you please yes. increase our faith. Teach yes. us to follow you in all things yes. and to devote our life into your hands. Wow. Father, bless your people those who may be sick among us, yes. we turn to you and rely on your authority yes. that you will heal your people fully. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and King, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.